Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Ralph Burns, and we'll explore the Facebook ad algorithm, what it is, how it works, and what you need to know. By the way, if you want to email me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. Today, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool for desktop, for iOS, and for Android that does voice notes and transcriptions all in one. It's called Otter Voice Notes. Otter Voice Notes. Tell me more. So I'm really kind of falling in love with this app. It is really cool. It What it does is essentially it's the smartest note-taking app that you can have because what it does is you hit record and it not only records the audio of your call or your meeting or your video conference, your interview, whatever it is, it also is transcribing it at the same time on your device, the laptop, the desktop, you know, your mobile device, whatever it is. And that is awesome for multiple reasons for all of us in social media, because often we want to repurpose things. So say you have a really good call with somebody, you're like, man, I wish I had a transcript of that. Hey, now you do. Well, what's kind of cool is if you can play back the audio, you can also see where it got it wrong and you can correct it, right? Because you can hear what it is. How accurate do you think it is? So I went back through and I, I did a couple of different tests. And what I could tell is, uh, and, and by the way, the way they say this is, um, so from my experience, it was about 90% correct, which kind of amazed me, to be honest. Right. So, so that means that um, uh, 10 out of every 100 words might be wrong. Yeah. But Got then it. on top of that, on the device, it's automatically showing you the words as they are being spoken. But not only that. After the recording is done, AI automation goes back in and scrubs the audio and tries to even more further perfect the transcription. Does it know when sentences begin and end? For the most part, yeah. I mean, what I could tell was it knew when I had stopped and started and there was punctuation there that was That's almost cool. one. You know, it, that was actually – I don't know that I saw any uh, – I saw spelling issues and maybe, a, oh, that's not the word I said there kind of stuff. But – For the most part, the punctuation was right. Interesting. So for the marketer listening right now, other than maybe making sure that they get notes from a meeting that they're in, um, you know, kind of transcribed for them and and have a recording, are there any other applications of this for marketers? Yeah. So I can think of figuring out like for, so for example, as a podcaster, as well as you are right now, cause we're on one, uh, I could see plugging the audio from a soundboard or something into a mobile device or even back into a computer and have it turned on and hit record. And it could then do transcribing of your podcast essentially for free. Ah, uh, I see. So it sounds like you cannot you cannot currently just take a recording and apply this thing to it. It's meant to be a live recording. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. There's not an upload feature per se. Although, I mean, I guess you could play a podcast out loud and have this sitting next to it and see what it does. Huh. That's fascinating. Where do we find it? How much does it cost? Yeah. So what's really cool about this is one, you can find it at Otter AI. That's O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. And their pricing is really cool because there's a free tier that gives you 600 minutes 
a month. That's great. If a you bit. divide that, I mean, that's that's ten hours. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then you go up to like premium, which uh, gives you six thousand minutes, which I'm not even going to, you know, do the math on how many hours. But that it's the is, same but, same quality as far as the transcription goes, right? For both of them. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Exactly. So it's really just comes down to quantity of transcriptions that you want based on this service. Wow. Awesome. So yeah. otter.ai. Yep. That's where you'll find it to sign up for the desktop version, as well as links to download the iOS and the Android apps. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for our special guest, Ralph Burns. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Ralph Burns. If you don't know who Ralph is, he's a Facebook ads expert and co-host of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. I highly recommend that show. I listen to it every week. He also runs Tier 11, an ad agency focused on serving e-commerce businesses. Ralph, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, today... Ralph and I are going to explore something that I've never talked about on this show before, which is the Facebook ads algorithm. Yes, there is an algorithm just for the ads. And we're going to talk about what it is, how it works, what you marketers need to know about that. And Ralph is in a great position to be able to tell us a lot of insight. Um, Ralph, before we go there, I'd love to get a little backstory on you because this is the first time you've been on my show. How in the world did you get into Facebook ads? What's your story? Oh, well, it was 2009, I think, when I first started running Facebook ads. I had actually been fired the second time from the corporate world. Yikes. And uh, which You know what? That happened to me, thing. by the way, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> best thing that ever happened to me. It's January 29th. Every year I celebrate it as my Independence Day, so uh, I'm proudly uh, fired and unemployable, which is the reason why I started Tier 11, but no, it was uh, after... I was fired from the big corporate job um, in the sales and sales management. I actually had started a, a blog that sort of led to my firing, believe it or not, mm. which was about sales and sales management, which is actually still alive somewhere on the internet somewhere. But um, I started to run uh, AdWords traffic to it, uh, you know, nights and weekends and early mornings and everything else. And I really started to, you know, get good at uh, pay-per-click traffic. That's when AdWords and, uh, was just taken off too, right? Like 2008, oh, yeah. 2009, right? Yeah. I mean, I started that probably around 2007, 2008, I think. So it was still in the heyday. I mean, you could actually, you know, uh, do a lot with AdWords that you can't do now, but I, you know, I haven't been on the AdWords platform for quite some time. And then I also sort of sprung out into like, the Yahoo and I believe it was the MSN network at that mm-hmm. point in time. So I was all pay-per-click. And uh, when I finally got... Uh, fired, I had to figure out a way to make some money. So I became an affiliate. So I started becoming, uh, you know, selling other people's stuff through a lot of different affiliate networks on pay-per-click. And then after about a year or so of doing that, Facebook announced that uh, they were running ads in the right-hand column, which is our old right-hand column ads. But the targeting wasn't nearly as good as it is today. So I started doing that for a number of different offers, one of which is sort of notorious, which is um, I was an affiliate for Christian Mingle, the dating service. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So um, if you lived in Dallas, Texas, and you're a female between the ages of 25 and 35 in 2009, I sincerely apologize for the horrible ads that you probably saw on Facebook. Some of those were probably mine. But 
what I realized is that Facebook was a tremendous platform that got an amazing amount of traffic. The problem that they had back then was that the targeting wasn't really good. So really all you could have was gender, age, where they live, town they lived in, and if they were interested in men or women, or if they were single, married, and I think there was another one like, it's complicated. Right. So I said, with that type of targeting, why don't I do a dating offer? So I ended up becoming uh, what's known as like a super affiliate for Christian Mingle, uh, until one day when my wife walked in on my um, on my office and saw me on the Christian Mingle site, and she was pretty ticked off, although she didn't really. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much the end of my Facebook advertising at that point in time because I had a lot of explaining to do. Right. So, um, but anyway, so I took time off from it because uh, it, you know I just got tired of that offer, uh, and came back to it about a year or two later when they started putting ads in the newsfeed. And um, that's really when I think that the platform started to take off. And I remember some of my affiliate buddies saying, hey, you know, they've got newsfeed ads now. Um, you know, why don't you get in on it? And I remember it was like three months after they actually started running ads in the newsfeed. And I had thought that I was late for the party, mm. Mike, believe it or not. I was like three, I was three months too late. Little did I know I was actually, you know, one of the early uh, advertisers for direct response advertising. So I've been doing it ever since. So. And you went on to, I mean, obviously you ended up starting your own agency somewhere along the line and servicing clients. What kind of clients are you working with now? Yeah, I mean, primarily e-commerce, but uh, we still do a fair amount of information-based products. So we've got a system that works really well for uh, e-commerce businesses selling physical products. We use a strategy called the e-com ad amplifier, which works really, really well for us um, in order to take cold traffic that doesn't know who the heck these people are and ultimately turn them into purchasers or multiple purchasers or customers, long-term customers. So, um, but uh, we got our start when I was doing this originally, primarily in the info business space. So lots of biz op type offers, lots of coaching offers, that kind of stuff. And we've sort of taken that almost like affiliate marketer mindset when I first started, as well as that direct response info-based marketing mindset and have been able to shift that into the e-commerce space. And it's been really good for us. And uh, we've got a pretty large team right now. And, you know, I mean, uh, the biggest thing for us is um, is a really good match, the type of customers that we really feel are going to do good on the platform itself. And uh, because of our close relationship with Facebook, we really do feel like we're a, a steward of the platform and, and are, are fairly um, – you know, we're rigorous about the types of customers that we take on, but, you know, we're having a great time right now and, and the platform is as good as it ever was, even with all the changes, which we can talk about here today. Awesome. But, um, well, and I know about. you and Keith Krantz and Molly Pittman, um, started the perpetual traffic podcast. What is it? Three years ago now? Yeah, about, it's right? going on three years. We're yeah. At, uh, and you guys cover 50 something. Yeah, yeah. So as a result of that podcast and all the other stuff, you know, Ralph is in a really good spot. Uh, with his agency experience and everything else to talk to us about what we're going to talk about now. So um, let's talk about the Facebook ads algorithm. Why is there an algorithm for ads on Facebook? Well, to talk about the algorithm, you really have to talk about what's known as the auction. So the algorithm itself and is, is sort of a big black box that not a whole lot of people understand. But as an advertiser, if you look at the, the algorithm, the algorithm really is a way in which Facebook can prioritize the best ads to put in front of the best audience to get the ideal result, while also marrying their user experience. So you know, Zuckerberg in 2018 said he's going to prioritize meaningful interactions on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And that has changed how this algorithm, how this auction really does work. Um, but knowing that when you're in the self-serving platform, you're not just like the highest bid wins. It, that's not the way that it works. There's a lot more to it. And I think Facebook is, is super aware of creating a good user experience because if if the advertisers monopolize the newsfeed or your Instagram or your right-hand column or wherever you're advertising on Facebook, not a whole lot of people are going to come back to Facebook. So they realize that you have to be able to marry the, you know, the interests of Wall Street and earnings and having more advertisers with that user experience. And the auction really helps to uh, sort of manage that by way of what we refer to as the algorithm. So, yeah. So before we get in the auction, um, 
you know, I think the reason there needs to be an algorithm, you know, first of all, Facebook has a pretty smart AI, if you will, or machine learning. And sure. I think that there's a lot of um, junk that's been on Facebook over the last couple of years with everything that's been going on with the elections and the, you know, um, Cambridge Analytica and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, there's 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 a lot of people that are not sure about Facebook right now. And last thing Facebook needs is to create ads that seem to turn people off, right? So I would imagine yep. while they, they could probably open their kimono and take everyone's money and be a much larger company, in the end, that would spell disaster for Facebook, right? Because they want to make sure that it's relevant and meaningful, I would imagine. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. So therefore, not everyone you know, who creates ads, they're not all created equal and therefore they should not all be necessarily shown. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. I mean, I think um, this stuff happening with Cambridge Analytica and uh, a lot of the political things that we can all read about in the news have affected Facebook, I believe, in a positive way. And I think a lot of people sort of thought that Facebook advertising was over, uh, you know, when a lot of this stuff came out a few months back. But to us, I mean, demand has never been higher in the agency. I think it's actually sort of uh, made people realize that, hey, this is actually a really good platform. If all this other stuff is going on in it, I think I need to be on it myself. So for us, we want to make sure that, you know, we advertise in the right way, staying within the policy limitations or the restrictions of, of Facebook, as well as helping them provide that good user experience. And I think anyone who advertises on the platform and gets any level of success has to look at it that way. And so I think, you know, Facebook has definitely swung very much to one side at this point in time. I think they've gone overly conservative with a lot of the things that they've done, uh, you know, from a from a data standpoint. But I think it's actually a good thing because I think they look at themselves as they are the people that are going to blaze the trail for how data is treated in digital advertising in the digital medium itself. And I think Zuckerberg, just by going to, you know, the Senate and Congress and speaking, you know, not being asked to speak, he volunteered to do it, I think is a bold move for them. Um, but right now, I mean, the platform's never been better. You just have to sort of know how to use it and the right things to do. And, uh, you know, as long as you do that, you and you keep in mind that Facebook is trying to create a positive user experience with meaningful interactions with ads that really do provide value, you'll be in a good spot. So. so you've had a chance to meet with Facebook. You've had a chance to do lots of experiments at the agency level. Um, mm -hmm. What have you discovered? What can you share with our listeners as far as what they need to know about the ads algorithm? Yeah. So, I mean, the auction is, in essence, the algorithm. It's really, it's how, folks, how your ad shows before someone else's ad. So let's say you have a million-person audience that you're targeting, and there's probably hundreds if not maybe thousands of other advertisers potentially targeting people in that same audience. So what Facebook has determined is that the one who actually wins the auction, the one who actually is seen first, second, third in the newsfeed, for example, is the one with the highest total value. So this is sort of that black total box. Total value like, to Facebook, right? Is that what we're talking about? Or to the user? highest total value as they see it. <laughs> so total value is a word that Facebook uses when they describe the auction, at least, you know, in our interactions with these guys, as well as uh, with the auction team, they talk about it as something that is sort of a higher standard. It's the highest total value, meaning that it can marry what we talked about just initially is enough advertising that's relevant and and you know uh, is something that the user actually wants to see and will interact with with the fact that they have to balance this user experience with so these it's not about dollars when you say value really it's something different yeah right? it's not I mean they're in it in the long game I mean they you know the highest bid doesn't necessarily win when I was first starting in Google pay-per-click all you had to do was just outbid the other guy mm-hmm that's not how it works here. I mean, it's this sort of this this combination of factors, which, like I said, we can get into. Um, and it's not just that's how you keep out 
the bad elements. That's how you keep out the ads that people don't want to see because there is a user aspect to this whole thing, which is incredibly valuable. And all this mashed together is what we refer to as the algorithm. So So the highest total value, let's dig in on this. Like, again, just to reiterate people, he's not talking about financial value to Facebook, (laughs) you know, so because when people think of highest value, they think of price, but that's not what we're talking about. It's a different value. (laughs) So, so what makes up that highest total value? So there's three things. There's uh, the first thing is bid. The second thing is estimated action rate. And the third thing is ad quality and relevance. Now known, well, the way that they describe it to us is called user value. So I can get into each one of those. Let's do it. And then that then creates what's referred to as total value. So once again, total value is a Facebook term, not my term. It doesn't have anything to do with monetization. It has to do with the value to the platform. So the first thing is, is bidding. So when you're, ad, when you're advertising on Facebook, there's, in essence, three ways to bid. So there's what's referred to as lowest cost bid, okay? And there's also lowest cost with bid cap. And then there's a third one now known as target cost. So lowest cost is the one that we use probably 99% of the time. This is what people, this is the default bid inside Facebook at your ad set level, not at the ad level, but at the ad set level. And this is what used to be referred to as automatic bidding. Okay. So Facebook is actually setting the bid for you, which is counterintuitive. You say, well, why would I want Facebook to bid for me? I would want to bid on my own. Well, actually, you do want Facebook to bid for you because, like I said before, it's not all about grabbing as many advertising dollars. It's about creating value in the newsfeed to have those meaningful interactions like we talked about. So um, bid is something that we've tested this pretty extensively inside the agency. And we've also met with their auction team about this. And like I said, there's lowest cost, which is sort of automatic bidding default. The next one is lowest cost with bid cap. It basically says, well, I don't want to pay, for example, let's say I've got a, a website conversions campaign. I want to get a lead for, you know, social media examiner, right. but I don't want to pay any more than $5 a lead. Okay. Well, lowest cost with bid cap, you could put in a max bid of $5. I see. So, but what would happen here is that you would automatically not be entered into any auctions over $5. So what that in effect does is it lowers your impressions. What we found is that bid cap actually lowers impressions, whereas automatic bidding or lowest cost bidding is the best one for us, especially when we're trying to get as low cost conversions as we possibly can, as well as maybe some conversions that are maybe- Will they, will they cap out the bid cap when you tell them what your bid cap is? Do you, do you know if that's true? Like if you say you're willing to pay five bucks, are they actually just going to go right to five bucks? They do, but typically what we found is that even if you play around with it, what it does is it just halts all your impressions. So you can put in $5 and you've got this million person audience that you know is going to convert and you just find that your ads just aren't getting any reach. They're they're not getting anything. So they just almost sort of die on the vine unless you, you know, bid higher, which we've tested that as well. Let's say you want a $5 conversion for a lead, but you're like, all right, well, maybe I'll just double my bid up to $10. Well, you'll get some $5 conversions, but once again, you'll have the same issue. So we found that those two, that that way of bidding is not very effective. So that's why we default back to lowest cost. What was the is, what was the third option you mentioned? The third one is called target cost. Now this is one where uh, it's used to be referred to people who might be familiar with the platform. It's called average bidding. So this one is one when it came out, we were actually really excited about. It. We're like, wow. Well, if we want you know Mike Stelzner to get five dollar leads. Our target cost, we just plug this in and Facebook will give us as many $5 leads as we possibly can get. Same issue happens with target cost as what happens with lowest cost with bid cap. I see. Once again, you don't get impressions, you don't get reach, you end up paying more. So what we've actually found is that when you allow Facebook to do their magic uh, by doing lowest cost bidding, you get lots of $5 leads, but you also get lots of three, two, $1 leads. Believe it or not, Facebook is trying to get you the result that you want as cheaply as possible. So you, once again, you're there in this for the long game. 
they don't want to just make a money grab and then just turn you off to the platform. They want you to come back as a positive advertiser experience. But also, there's other factors that go into this to make sure that the user experience is, is top-notch as well. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is the lowest cost is the default option anyways, right? So most people are using yep. that, right? So, so if you don't change anything, then you're probably using the lowest cost. So that is probably most advertisers, right? So there's, these other two factors must be pretty important, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I think for the big takeaway here is don't worry about those other two ways to bid, but bid, you have to factor that into the auction. This is part of the algorithm, the part of the auction, how you actually win the auction so that your ad shows in the newsfeed over your competitor. Uh, so the first thing is bid. So we always set it to lowest cost or auto bidding. The second part of the uh, the auction or the algorithm is estimated action rates. Now, this is where it gets a little bit of a gray area. This is a couple of different things. First off, recent activity in the ad, which could be likes, shares, comments, uh, video views, clicks to website, clicks back to the page, all that, which is then aggregated into what most advertisers will see eventually in that ad as a what's referred to as relevant score. Oh, Which, that, wait, wait, hold on. That's good. So, yeah. so, so all that activity forms the relevant score. Cause I cannot tell you how many people have asked about that relevant score. Maybe you could talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, the way that we understand it is that relevant score is a lagging indicator. It has nothing to do with the algorithm itself. Uh, all it does is it sort of reports the news. It sort of tells you as an advertiser, how much positive or negative feedback your ad is getting. Oh, so you don't even get that until after the ad's been running for a little bit, huh? Yeah, it takes typically, I don't know recently, but typically about three to seven days to start getting any sort of relevant score, depending on what your budget is. Got it. Um, yeah, so in most cases, it takes about seven days for the algorithm to really kick in and start sort of this learning phase. Um, and that way, the auction can actually work very more effectively. So, but yeah, it's, it's a lagging indicator but it could be an early sign of trouble for you, especially if you are you know, in the low range of that one to 10 for relevant score. Um, but we've had many cases where our best converting ads are maybe two, three, four relevant score, and our worst converting ads are seven, eight, nine, 10 relevant score. So it's not necessarily an indicator of how well you're doing as an advertiser. Uh, by default, most of the time when we're running campaigns, Mike, we're running website conversions. So we want to put in a dollar and then get multiple dollars out of it, whether through a purchase for one of our e-commerce advertisers or like we were discussing before, like if Social Media Examiner wanted to you know, throw their lead magnet uh, you know, out on Facebook and get uh, as many leads as they possibly can, which you can then cultivate through your, right. through your email sequence. So estimated action rates are a couple of different factors. So recent activity on the ad. So the more negative feedback, and I think uh, <laughs> this is absolutely the case, the more negative feedback that you get on an ad, the worse your ad will potentially do. And I think there's really, there's a factor of maybe 10 to 100 wow. on uh, negative feedback. So if you've got one person who hides your post or unlikes your page, that really is almost like 10 times or 100 times more important than a like or a share or even a comment. It's wow. hard to say exactly, but so we've really seen that to be a game changer for th us. That brings up a really interesting point. Does this mean we ought to be monitoring our ads and shutting off the ones that have negative feedback? Well, I think there's a way to, around it. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it. You can, uh, if you're getting a tremendous amount of negative feedback, then that's giving you a signal that your ad and your targeting is probably off. Your message to market match is just, right. you're missing it. So, but you'll probably see that more so ahead of time if you're trying to get a specific conversion number. Let's say, once again, let's say you're trying to get a $5 lead for Social Media Examiner. A bad ad that has lots of negative feedback typically is the one that isn't converting at your target CPA or your right. target cost per acquisition. So you'll see that way in advance and then probably shut it off just by default because you'll say, ah, that ad isn't doing well. Um, the reason for it is it might be, you know, that because for whatever reason, your image, your your video, your ad copy, your your headline just isn't resonating with that market. Mm -hmm. Cool. So so far so, we've got uh, recent activity on the ad, negative feedback. Yep. What else? 
uh, ad set campaign and account history uh, actually hmm. factor into this whole thing. So this is something that we just found out back in March. This is actually a good one for the listeners here because uh, there was a big question as to whether or not the ad account itself had anything to do with how effective your current ad is running or campaign history or is it all at the ad and the ad set level? Hmm. So do people uh, do people understand like the, the hierarchy of how it kind of works? There's a campaign, there's an ad set level, and then there's an ad sort of in that way? Uh, I would assume they do. Okay, good. So – uh, so yeah, so so at the ad set level is typically where all the optimization takes place. So we know that at the ad set level, that's a super important factor as to how this sort of estimated action rate part of the algorithm works. Right. But we didn't really realize that the account history, the actual ad account history, or all the campaigns that are in that ad account affect the ad that you're running right now. So, so past history does impact future behavior in this particular case, according to Facebook. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. As well as your page history. Mm, really? So wow. yeah, page itself. So I mean, we've actually seen some cases where like a Facebook page that we're running traffic through, because everything is a page post in essence, right. you know, when you run an ad on Facebook, that a page has gotten hacked, you know, unnecessarily or, you know, through no fault of their own. And the ad account could never fully recover. Wow. So let's say you're going along fine doing $5 leads all day long, and all of a sudden your Facebook page gets hacked. Well, that account for us, just like the, the CPA, the cost per acquisition, went up almost 10x after the page got hacked. And we couldn't do anything about it, so we really had to start from scratch. So we always sort of suspected that page history had something to do with whether or not your ad showed in the algorithm and how the algorithm sort of works. But you know, Facebook revealed this to us back in uh, in late March, which was astounding. So, couple of questions. Course, yeah, a couple quick ahead. questions about this uh, on the account history. I'm assuming it's just the negative history that could hurt you, or is there like a positive factor as well on the account um, as far as the account history goes? And the same thing for the ad sets. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, we're talking about negative more than positive here, but everything can work in the reverse. So if you've got a great account history, let's say you're really attentive to user comments, you know, you get nothing but likes, shares, comments, everything is positive. You know, you have a product that's very well matched to the markets that you're trying to target. You know, all those things we now realize from an ad account level are positive uh, towards the ad that you're currently running or the ad that you're maybe just about to run. That's hmm. a that's a positive factor as to whether or not it will get a low cost per acquisition, it will get lots of engagement, it'll win the auction. All these sorts of things really do matter. Um, and we always sort of thought that that was the case and we never really got the real deal from Facebook, but uh, we now know that it is the case. So, But it's, it's common sense, I think, in a lot of ways. So, Yeah, and it's fascinating that this is um, now it's fascinating that this is true because I think about search in the same way, right? Like social media examiner seems to rank on certain topics in search, no matter what, you know, like not all topics, but certain ones, which I won't name. And whenever we write an article on that topic, it seems that Google rewards us, you know, in the search almost always. And I would imagine Facebook is kind of the same. Like if they know that our company, social media examiner sh uh, shares a lot of content on a certain thing, like let's just take Instagram and that our audience seems to go nuts over that. And then we do an ad for something about Instagram. I would imagine there's got to be some connection or am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, Absolutely. is there a topical connection here? Cause we haven't even gotten to that. Absolutely. So we've always seen this with ad accounts. Like there's certain ad accounts that uh, come to us, you know, as an agency that have had a long history of social, right. for example, there's a customer that's been with us that she has an amazing Instagram following, you know, a rabid audience that just loves her content. You know, she's very transparent, very giving, very helpful, very useful. And when she started running Facebook ads, she was experiencing some of the lowest cost per acquisition I had ever seen, wow. you know, in my career. So, I mean, we always sort of thought that this was the case, but it really does stand to reason. And then if you think about it in today's environment, we're trying to, you know, Facebook is now validating pages. I mean, there's, they are very protective of the platform. You, you don't want to just start a page tomorrow with no history. And, you know, 
be winning auctions over somebody who has that type of ad account history, like I just mentioned from one of our customers, like it's just not fair. Plus you're not a known entity to Facebook. So Facebook is like, all right, well you've been around for a while. You have a good history. Your page is clean. Um, you know, your ad account, if you've run any sort of ads, maybe you've boosted some posts every now and then, uh, you know, that's relatively positive. We now realize that that all factors into the ad that you're just about to run right now. So the more you do stuff above board and the more you really do think about like what this user experience is all about and you know as as cliched as the meaningful interactions thing is with with Zuckerberg it really is true i mean you got to sort of think about this is a social platform at the end of the day and you're an advertiser kind of intruding in on people's news feeds so you have to create some value for those people in order for you to be able to win the auction and be a successful advertiser so we've talked about bidding we've talked about estimated auction rates and specifically about recent activity on ads negative feedback and history at the ad set level the campaign level and also at the account level is there any other estimated uh, a- uh, action? rates or auction rates, I mean, that we need to be talking about before we talk about the next thing? Yeah, the only one that I have there is um, other factors, which I don't really know what those things are. So those are sort of the secret sauce that Facebook won't tell us. <laughs> yeah, miscellaneous. Uh, nor should they really, right. actually. But you know, I think it's probably around user experience and so forth. But that really pretty much takes care of that estimated action rate. So just to, just to uh, summarize, so we, we talked about bid. Bid, you know, we recommend lowest cost bidding. Now we just talked about estimated action rates, so that's our second factor. And our third factor is user value. And this one was pretty interesting reveal that uh, that we just discovered as well. Yeah, talk to me about that. Yeah, so user value is um, this used to be known as ad quality and relevance, but now it's now known as this user value thing. So, um, but what we found is that. It's the post-click experience that has a great degree of impact on this factor in the algorithm auction. Hmm. Um, And so we always sort of thought that this was the case because we would see this. We actually had an ad account, this is maybe three years ago, that once they actually opted in or, you know, opted into the lead, gave, you know, clicked off Facebook, landed on the landing page, put in their name and their email address – and then landed on the thank you page when they, the uh, customer changed their thank you page from something that was very relevant, very much in line with the lead magnet. It was actually sort of a, this amazing sort of magazine that was had very, very deep, lots of content on it. And the user would actually go into the magazine and spend lots of time off Facebook. And we were getting leads for you know one, two dollar leads, just tremendous all day long. They changed the the thank you page one day without us knowing, and we started seeing leads for ten dollars, twelve dollars, fifteen dollars. We're like, what has happened? Like nothing changed with our ads. Huh. So then we realized, you know, my account manager actually went through it, and she was like, you know, they changed the thank you page. So I'm like, wow, that was like it was night and day. So. What was happening is that we were having users have a really positive experience offline. So we were clicking out of the ad. This is like a link post, like an image kind of ad. Click through, land on a landing page, name and email, and then land on that thank you page. And then going forward into the site, as soon as people started back clicking, our cost per acquisition skyrocketed. It's interesting because I know that over the last couple of years, Facebook has been releasing updates to the organic algorithm specifically stating that they were tracking user time on site and and how fast they were abandoning and stuff because mostly because they were look, trying to avoid clickbaity kind of stuff yep and i would imagine the very same technology is at play here right which is they're tracking with the pixel the actions that you're taking and if you quickly abandon for whatever reason um the sales page or whatever it is that you have got going on that probably sends a signal to Facebook saying that this is not a high value target. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely in line with with what you said about clickbait. You know, your example is just you know one step um, back in sort of the funnel. It's somebody right. clicking off an ad, landing on a landing page. Oh, that's not what I was looking for. Immediately back clicking. Right. We now know that that in essence is bounce rate. Right. So. Well, folks know what bounce rate is. It's in essence, it's like how quickly do you backclick off exactly. the landing page after you know after clicking on an ad? Um, if they click immediately back, it it works against you in a big way. And um, so 
not only is Facebook trying to control the user experience for the ad, but also the user experience post-ad. Or even in our case, we saw it not necessarily post-ad, but even on the thank you page and the content on the website where we sent them three steps after or two steps after they opted in for the lead magnet. So mm. Facebook knows, like they, they understand what's happening on their platform. Um, typically what will happen is if you click on an ad, go to a landing page, immediately click back, a lot of people will leave negative comments or they'll unlike or they'll, you know, they'll have bad things to say or they'll so, hide this ad or that will lead to negative feedback, which, you know, is part of the estimated action rates part of this. But the user value part, um, this this sort of bounce rate element to the Facebook ads algorithm, the Facebook auction was something that we suspected, but we didn't really know. And I think it's a good thing for people to realize. So the user value is not how valuable is the user, the person that we're sending to the destination. It's how valuable is it for the user? Is that really what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what does that mean for marketers? I mean, what's the take-home lesson here? I think you have to test a lot of things. I mean, for us, it comes down to you know, having a really good message to market match. And that's sort of a cliched expression. But, you know, for example, we were on an agency call today where we were going through a new customer of ours who has a really breakthrough product. But we figured out, or actually our account manager figured out that there was about five different avatars in the main avatar. And each one of those avatars has a really different kind of hot button for the product. So, and he then went a step further and said, all right, well, here's all my targeting. So we do this. It's called the Ad Grid. Um, Molly Pittman from Digital Marker came up with the, the idea. It was a great way of really focusing uh, your ads on different types of avatars. But the, the end goal of this is not to manipulate the user, but is to talk to that user in their own language that they understand. And it's the language that they are interested in based upon their interests. So, for example, in this case, we had very specific targeting for uh, a certain type of avatar that had a very specific interest. Like, for example, this was, you know, for a dog product. So we had different, like five different avatars for five different dog owners with five different specific hot buttons. So mm. what that does is it makes our ads more effective, but it also increases this user value. Okay. So somebody who's interested, you know, as a retiree, you know, uh, for this particular dog product versus somebody who's in their early twenties, they're going to get a very different ad. So we're going to target them based upon age and demographics, maybe interests, but also put an ad in front of them that speaks to that particular, uh, target audience. So that's how you increase, you know, your user value, so to speak, but also you're helping yourself in doing so because you're probably going to get better conversions. You're probably going to get lower cost conversions or lower cost purchases because you're really speaking to that user. And I think that's just good marketing, Mike, more than anything. Um, we now realize that this is all part of this auction, but I mean, going back to basic principles of advertising and marketing, you really do want to speak to the conversation that's going on in your prospect's head. And that's what we try to do with our, with our creative and our ad copy uh, as much as we possibly can. Ralph, if this is a pie chart and we've got these three different pieces of the pie, the bidding, the estimated action rate, and the user value, do you think they're equal or do you know whether more weight is on one than the other? You know, I would, that's a great question and uh, one I probably should have asked them. I would say they're probably equally weighted is my guess. Um, well, then this, this begs the next question, which is the estimated action. Is there some, should we be trying, I mean, you, you'd said earlier that the action that people takes on an ad is everything from watching a video to clicking. It's every conceivable action, right? So, um, are there things that we should be doing in our ads to get people to take action? Cause you know, in order to increase the likelihood that we will win the auction, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look, when you think of estimated action rates, you also have to think about, okay, I'm an advertiser and I want a result from my ads. Right. Right. So right. The right um, action. Right. Exactly. 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 I want to get the right person to opt into my lead magnet and at a specific cost that I can afford that I know I'm going to be able to monetize, uh, or it's a purchase of a product at a certain cost per acquisition. So 
you know, your estimated action rates are selfish in a lot of ways because you have to sort of figure out, okay, what do I want out of this platform? I need to know the numbers of my business first off. But then again, what's the objective for your ad? And in most cases that the objective is set, well, I mean, there's ways to optimize that are slightly different than that, but at a sort of a base level, there's ways to optimize your ad based upon objective at the campaign level. So what I mean by that is like if you want people to watch your video, okay, you would probably do a campaign that has the objective as video view, okay? If you want a conversion, if you want a $5 lead, if you want a $20 purchase for your supplement or whatever it happens to be, chances are you would probably use the campaign objective website conversions. So once again, estimated action rates, that part of that is like what your goal as an advertiser is. So if you, the more conversions that you get in that lead magnet campaign or that, you know, supplement, you know, uh, purchase campaign, those action rates also factor into the auction. Like how well is your ad doing what you want it to do, which gives Facebook positive reinforcement. And from what we found is the estimated action rate part of this whole thing is like how many actions you want in a week. Believe it or not, Facebook really has sort of a number that they want. Let's say if you you are running this lead magnet campaign for Social Media Examiner, uh, in an ad set, you want about 50 conversions minimum per ad set per week in order to feed this auction, feed the algorithm, and give Facebook enough information to learn who to show your ad in front of and who to best show it in front of in order to win the auction. Like they want you to win the auction, I guess is what, what I'm trying to say. It's like they're not working against you. Like they really want to help you out as an advertiser, but you have to do your own part too by creating valuable ads like we were talking about with that customer that had the, you know, the dog product, but also think about like what your real goal of your campaign is cuz what your goal is, Facebook will give it to you. If you want traffic, just traffic to your site and nothing else, you pick the traffic objective. I think this is important. This is important because I'm pretty sure I talked to you about how we were spending about $1,000 a day on an ad campaign Mm -hmm. and it was working really well, but we had initially set up our objective as just website traffic, but we were really looking for conversions. We were looking for sales and um, it worked like gangbusters. But then all of a sudden, as the price of the product started going up, it just stopped working. And in my mind, it was because we've exceeded the threshold of what this customer is willing to pay. So then we changed it to a conversion objective and it kind of worked. But (laughs) is what I'm hearing you say that we should be truthful to Facebook about our objectives because they will try to find the right people? Is that really what I'm hearing you say because the AI is that good? The AI is that good. So uh, yeah, so let's let's take the example of maybe your campaign or, or the potential reach of that audience was a million people. Right. Um, so for example, that's a pretty good size audience for us. I mean, typically we'll start with audiences that are large, right. like million plus, you know, up to 50 million maybe in some cases, because we want to give Facebook enough people to show the ad in front of to start circling the wagons around whatever our objective is, whatever our action is that we want Facebook to produce for us. So let's say in that million person audience, there might be people in that audience that are sort of divided in a pie chart, almost if you think about it. So maybe some are website converters, okay? They are known, they have taken actions before, they have opted into lots of lead magnets, they have purchased lots of things on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Now I'm describing my wife. Um, and they know that that person is a converter. So in that million person audience, there might be, you know, 200,000 or maybe a hundred thousand converters. And I'm using little air quotes right now. And so Facebook has to figure out in that million person audience to optimize your ads for the objective that you want, which is website conversions. I need to find the best, most qualified people in that 1 million person audience. So when people start with Facebook ads, they think, all right, I've got a million person audience. That's a million people who are going to buy my stuff. Not necessarily. So But Facebook will show your ad as best as it possibly can by allowing you and wanting you to win the auction using the algorithm and all the machine learning that they know about all their users to people that are in that audience that are potentially website converters. So, But within that same audience, you might also have people who are 
you know, watch lots of videos. So maybe video view objective. Maybe there's other people that just engage. They like, click, comment, share. Maybe some people just, you know, enjoy or they, you know, are involved in a brand awareness. Or they just like to read, but they don't buy anything, right? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of those people out there as well. So, I mean, Facebook tries to show your ad to the personalities based upon all their data um, to the action that you want the most. And like I said, my 99% of the time when we run ads, we're typically running ads for website conversions just because we're a direct response agency. Um, but in a lot of cases, we're looking for just video views. Mm-hmm. So, or we just want brand awareness so that we can get to as many people as possible and then retarget them with maybe a, you know, a more product, uh, centric ad. So, uh, when you think about what Facebook, there's no reason to try and trick Facebook and saying, well, what I really want is kind of traffic, but what I really actually really want is for people to buy my stuff. Right. Well, if you want conversions, pick the website conversions objective. If you just want traffic and you want, you know, more traffic to your blog, pick the traffic objective. If you want objective you know, engagement, people, lots of people sharing, liking and commenting, pick engagement. So awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's that smart, and it knows uh, in that million-person audience what people are more likely for which action. Well, Ralph Burns, uh, I want to say thank you, first of all, for enlightening us on how this darn thing works, the Facebook ads algorithm. Tell everyone where they can discover your agency and all the other stuff you've got going on. Yeah, yeah, they can come to uh, tier 11 Dot com. You can just Google tier 11, T-I-E-R, number 11, or just put in the, uh, the URL, tier 11, all written out, dot com. And um, yeah, we have a, a case study that you can pick up there through Facebook Messenger. Um, but uh, yeah, or you know, if you want to work with us, there's a big bright orange or pink button, I think it is now, that says work with us, and that sends you to a page which talks about what we do a little bit more in depth. So, yeah, tier11.com. Awesome. We'll be sure to check them out, tier11allspelledout.com. Ralph Burns, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there was anything we mentioned and you missed it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 315 will get you to the show notes. Also, hit that subscribe button if you're new to the podcast. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for listening. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.